You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Mission Ridge and the Village Senior Residents, right? Excited to... uh, Dive into Advent, dive into the Advent season with you. My name is Rob Croyle. I am the lead pastor, and uh, we're really grateful for this opportunity to celebrate Jesus Christ with you. Our approach to Advent this year will be to connect ancient tradition to modern worship. And that's uh, it's something that we value as a church. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's actually something that Logan is passionate about, and I've I've kind of adopted his passion for that. If you notice, our song song selection included a selection of ancient hymns and a modern adaptation of a classic. Did you know that Christians have been singing and are chanting, let all mortal flesh keep silence for 1,700 years? Like, let that sink in. Like, we we are participating in something that has, that is centuries old. It's one of the earliest Christian hymns still in common usage with the roots, as uh, Logan mentioned, that date back to the 4th century. We also sang an updated version of, actually the youngest of all of our songs is uh, 300 Years, uh, Joy to the World, was written in 1719, and I don't remember when the adaptation came out, that was four or five years ago. Something like that. Um, So happy birthday, joy to the world, 300 years old this year. The question we want to wrestle with during this Advent is, what are you doing to create traditions that will point others to Jesus? We've been handed this rich heritage, and we're asked to continue that on as a community. Our family decorated for Christmas this weekend, and a part of doing that, we we now have a house that has ceilings that are tall enough for my parents' nine-foot Christmas tree. It is a behemoth of a tree. I didn't know how big it was (laughs) from the box. It was just, it's ginormous. But it's a reminder to me that what has been handed to Christy and I, now that my parents have passed, now that my grandparents have passed, what's been handed to Christy and I, it's our turn to hand off traditions to our children and to someday our grandchildren. And so it's something that we need to be mindful of. Did you know that within the first few hundred years, they didn't even celebrate the birth of Jesus? In fact, they thought it was, uh, well, they, they thought it was sacrilegious or they, they, um, the remembering of birthdays of famous people uh, was seen by Origen um, as, a celebra- as a pagan practice, I guess is what I'm trying to think of here. And so within the first few hundred years, they didn't even celebrate the birth of Jesus and and there's, 
a big question of how do we even know that December 25th was the birth date of Jesus? And there's some theories out there. Uh, Sextus Julius Africanus, who was one of the first Christian historians to produce a universal chronology of the human history, uh, he came up with December 25th in 221 A.D. Another view suggests that December 25th became the date of Jesus' birth by connecting the spring equinox as the date of creation of the world with the date of Jesus' connection. And so March 25th, which was seen as the fourth day of creation when light was created, and so they said that's the day that Jesus was conceived. And since, and so nine months later, you get December 25th. That's a strange theory. <laughs> a third explanation of the origin of the date is that December 25th was the Christianizing of the Dias Solus Invicti Nati. Easy for me to say. A day of the birth of the unconquered sun a popular holiday in the Roman Empire that celebrated the winter solstice as a symbol of the resurgence of the sun. Wintertime celebrations were common in other cultures as well, beyond the Roman culture in Scandinavia, the North celebrated Yule from December 21st into January, recognizing the return of the sun Fathers and sons would bring home large logs, which they'd set on fire. And then they would have a feast until the fire burnt out, which would take several days. So picture what we just did for Thanksgiving, only multiply that out by multiple days, and your stomach would have to hurt like mine does. The Norse believed that each spark from the fire represented a new pig or calf that would be born during the coming year. I think they like their wood wet. Doesn't that give you more sparks? Yes, we're going with wood, wet wood. In Germany, people honored the pagan god Odin as well. Germans were terrified of Odin as they believed he made nocturnal flights through the sky to observe his people and then decided who would prosper or perish. This is like the bad Santa. So is it surprising that people claim that Christianity adopted pagan practices by celebrating Christ on Christmas? Actually, I don't find it that, that surprising. We see Jesus adopt cultural themes and language throughout the Gospels, and we see the church meet culture where the culture's at. We're going to see throughout the history of Christmas as we talk about this through Advent that Christ followers have lived in attention of engaging culture yet holding true to Christ. This, this tension that we see today is not new. A popular tension between church and culture today seems to be about how we talk about Christmas. Do we say Merry Christmas? Happy holidays, season greetings. 
does our coffee cup have to say Merry Christmas on it? Is Xmas an appropriate reference to Christmas? And I don't find it particularly redemptive when Christians try to dictate how others approach Christmas. What makes Christmas Christmas is, the, is not our protests, but the way we prepare ourselves for the return of Christ, the way we help others connect to and celebrate Christ, and the way we take care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow. That's why this uh, Ronald McDonald House event that we have coming up next week is so important to me, because we get to minister to people that are, in effect, aliens to Missoula. They're here not by choice, but because of medical emergency of their child. And so we get to minister to them and be a blessing to them during a season that they should be home celebrating. Instead, they're here hoping that their child survives whatever they're facing. As followers of Christ, we sit in this tension of hoping for the second advent of Christ while rejoicing in his first advent. An advent has a certain liturgy to it. Each week there's a theme. This week's theme is hope. Each week there will be four passages that we will read. And each week there will be a candle that we'll that we will light, except for in this location, because we were asked to not light candles here. So that's why we didn't light a candle. Um, apparently, they didn't want the sprinkler system going off, the overhead sprinkler system. We thought that was a good idea. But the candle is a reminder that Christ came as light. So our first passage is found in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And may he teach us his ways. And that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and he shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let's walk in the light of the Lord. In this prophecy about Christ, written several hundred years before Christ, Isaiah sees a future where the God of Israel becomes the God of the nations through the Messiah, through the Christ. When it speaks of establishing the mountain of the house of the Lord as the highest mountain, they always built in the ancient times, they always built their worship places on, on the highest peaks. They figured they were closer to the gods that way. And so this imagery is, is that 
people are going to see that this is the one true God that we are to worship through Christ. And we know that Christ and the people who follow Christ have, have changed the world in so many significant ways. We, most, a lot of our rules for law come from the scriptures. And so we see that Christ has impacted the world. But I also want you to notice that the scripture is not yet fully realized. Because we haven't beat our swords into, into plowshares. We still see way too much war. And so there will come a time when Christ returns and he sets all things right. The second hope passage is found in Psalm 122. It's a psalm of accents. Now these psalms, many believe, were sung or recited as, as people traveled towards Jerusalem. For many families within Israel, it was a several-day journey to go to worship the Lord. And so these, these song of accents were part of their liturgy for traveling to Jerusalem. It was a way that they prepared themselves to worship the Lord. And wherever you go in Israel, it seems like when you're heading towards Jerusalem, you're, you're, you're heading uphill. So it reads this way. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set and thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, securely within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of Lord our God, we will seek your good. You know, it amazes me that Israel stands today. And I'm convinced that if it wasn't for the power of the Lord, that Israel would not continue to be a nation. And so I do pray for the peace of Jerusalem because there's a day where we will meet the Lord together there. In fact, a few years ago, my eldest son and I had an opportunity to go to Israel. And, and in preparation for that, I quipped that I, I needed to go then so that when Christ returns later, I could be a tour guide for my friends. So I, I'm your tour guide. When Christ returns, we will meet him in Jerusalem. That is a fantastic thought. And so we read this psalm as a reminder that we too must prepare ourselves. The third hope passage comes out of Romans 13. Paul says this, Besides this, you know that the time, that the hour has come for us to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we were first believed. 
The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, one of the things that Paul's addressing here was the Roman practices for celebration. When he talks about orgies and drunkenness and immorality and sensuality, like these were just a commonplace for their practices of celebration. And Paul's saying, don't, don't mix our celebration with, with their celebration. Let's be the greater influence in the world. Let's celebrate the Lord the way the Lord should be celebrated. And let others come and join us because what we do and how we do it is so compelling that they have no choice but to follow. That's leadership. Paul addresses the tension between Christ followers and culture. Culture will look to draw you to its godless practices. Culture will tempt you to live for desire after desire. And isn't that what we see with Christmas today when we look, turn on the television? Are people talking in their advertisements about the advent of Christ? Or are they talking about fulfilling your desires? Like Paul talks about in Romans. If the here and now is all we're living for, then living for our desires makes sense, right? If there is no Christ, if there is no resurrection, if there is no return of Jesus, then living for our desires is like a natural, just a natural thought. Why not live for the here and now? But the reality is, is that Christ is going to return. And he calls us to prepare ourselves. And we take this season as followers of Christ to remember, to focus on who Christ is, what he means, and what it means to be prepared. Our fourth whole passage comes out of Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of man. For as in those days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore... Stay awake. And Jesus uses language that Paul adopts 
when Paul says that it's daytime. Be awake. Don't act like it's nighttime. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. It would not have let his house been broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So if any of us knew that someone was planning to come to our house to threaten the well-being of our family by their presence, it'd be foolish for us not to stay awake, right? It'd be foolish to ignore that. In the same way, Jesus says, even more so, he calls us to look for, to long for the advent, the return of Christ. It's interesting in this Matthew 24, 25 section, uh, Jesus is asked by his disciples, when are you going to return? What is the sign? What do we look for? And Jesus, in five different ways, says, be ready. Four different parables, and then this section here, he says, be ready. He talks about a feast, or, or he talks about a wedding, and, and people with jars, and some have oil in their jars for lighting the candle, and others do not. They don't have enough, and so they're just, they don't prepare to be ready. And, and Jesus says, be ready. And then he talks about the talents, the parable of the talents, which, uh, which is an interesting parable. We'll probably talk about that in footnotes. Uh, some things that Jesus may be referring to. He may be referring to, are you engaging with the scriptures? Are you engaging with the scriptures to be ready? And then there's, I'm missing one of the parables, but the last parable is the parable about the judgment. Where Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And why did he not know them? Because they didn't feed him when he was hungry. They didn't give him water when he was thirsty. He didn't meet their needs. They didn't. They didn't meet him in the retirement home. They didn't meet him at the hospital or when, when Jesus was in jail. And Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, you do it for me. And so what are we doing this Advent season to be ready to prepare ourselves for that faithful day when Christ will return. God has established the mount of the Lord as the beacon of hope to the world. This is the mountain Jesus ascended from and will return to. Even as Israel would prepare for their ascent to Jerusalem, we take time this Advent season to prepare ourselves for the return of Christ.
our preparation includes reflecting on the way that we live for Christ. Christ has called us out of culture, but wants us to live in the tension of engaging culture. Christ is returning. There will come a day when we will put an end to all wars. We won't need swords. We won't need pitchforks, even for hay. Long for that day when nation will no longer go to war with nation. And the invitation is to come walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the implication is this. What are you doing to create traditions that will point people to Christ? In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And uh, I just want you to know that we have an open table. So if you've never partaken in communion with us, um, if you are here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you are invited to participate with us. So we're going to pass out the elements. You can grab the elements, and then uh, we'll come back together. The Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, he took bread like this. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Savior. Within days of having the conversation about his imminent return, be ready. Be ready. Jesus showed us what it meant to be totally sold out to the gospel when he went to the cross. He said, this is new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Hmm. Lord, Lord, I'm so grateful for the faithful, faithful, faithful men and women over the centuries. Um that have done their part to make sure that I have the ability to celebrate you as Lord and Savior, that I could prepare myself for your return. I want to thank you for the men and women in this room that have lived long lives of faithfulness to you. Lord, uh, what a blessing they have been to my generation and to the generations that follow me. Thank you, Lord, that they've already lived this out well. I pray that my generation and the next generation would choose to do the same. Lord, I long for your return. But until that day, may we be a congregation of people that are faithful to you. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. 
If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.